Circuit Cast with your host, Mark Amory. Well, kia ora koutou. Welcome to Circuit Cast, news and views on moving image and the visual arts from Aotearoa and beyond. And in this pod, we continue our focus on contemporary New Zealand moving image artists with a conversation with Clinton Watkins on the blower from Auckland. Kia ora, Clinton. Kia ora, Mark. How are you? I'm very, very good. Excellent. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about your current exhibition, Lower Case, at Stark White in Auckland, which is on until May the 14th. A collection of video works that, and I quote here, explore notions of real world versus virtual space via natural objects found in remote locations in New Zealand. Yeah. Is that the skull of a cow I can see rotating, mirrored on various it's videos? It's the skull points? of a sheep. sheep a skull. sheep? They're both, they're both sheep skulls. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of an unfortunate thing, a side effect of New Zealand um, um, parody, but um, yeah, that aside, it's the, the sheep skull. I haven't spent enough time on, on the farm, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> What's the significance of the skull for you? This, well, I mean, I guess it sort of starts from like a, a childhood thing, actually. Um, I, it's, uh, I recall, you know, as a child going to various farms uh, with family, um, going to chop firewood and all these sort of things, and I'd get kind of bored with the day's activities, and I'd just go walking around the, the farms that we'd go visit, and um, I'd find um, inevitably skulls and stuff um, in various you know, kind of remote locations. And uh, that sort of stemmed um, into like a, a kind of a fascination with the, the actual forms themselves. Mm. And uh, essentially that sort of, you know, carried through um, up until recent times, of course. Um, so when I ever go uh, for, you know, walks, depending on where I am uh, within New Zealand, I'm always sort of conscious of trying to find things such as skulls and many other things um, in my journeys. And um, I think they sort of echo... A lot of things in terms of you know personal history, um, uh, just being out in these particular environments and, and finding these kind of forms I'm just infatuated with. So this process of turning them into this kind of virtual space where the, the, they literally kind of uh, could slowly rotate, that does something mm. for you, clearly. It, mm. I mean, it makes... Obviously, you, you often make these, these uh, natural things strange in your work. Yeah. Mm. Well, with this one, I was thinking about... I guess contemporary times and um, this whole kind of notion of the virtual space becoming you know, more and more prominent. And um, in a way, these works are questioning that, of course. And um, I have um, you know, some pretty clear views on uh, what I think about you know, this notion of the virtual space, which is um, a bit sticky. In what way? It's a have to you? What's your view on that? I'm just concerned that um, you know we already have a reality, and I'm just wondering if we actually require another one. <laughs> Do we need this. another? <laughs> <laughs> it's all there already, so um, I'm concerned about being you know in these kind of rectangular environments, such as the screen or something like that, um, to portray a, a reality which is an emulation of something that we already kind of have, or you know, a fictional version of. So, yeah, you know, I, I guess I have a bit of a problem with it, so. That's really interesting. It's interesting in terms of your use of the space as an installation and how mm. we have a strange relationship there. I mean, in, in the Stark White space, you've got a small broadcast monitor on a tripod and there's a couple of these LCD screens on the corner with the skull rotating and there's a, mm. a piece of obsidian uh, glass spinning on a, I think it looks like a black screen leaning against a wall. But otherwise, mm. I mean, the space is very bare. So, I mean, yeah. why, why do you choose to have so much space between the works? 
Um, I, I've always been a fan of doing that with any of my work. Um, I guess I, I also like to treat the space acoustically as well because there's a sound component which essentially works, ah. um, which I feel is the kind of sonic adhesive between the works. Um, so in a, in a way, the space has been filled up but invisibly with the sound. So, um, yeah, there's this sort of those spaces in between, if I want to use that that term, um, uh, basically filled, but they're filled with something invisible, which happens to be sound. But I guess on a visual level, um, those were the works that I um, was most attached to in terms of the series, and I didn't require anything more. Yeah. Mm. But it's, so it's quite it's, pragmatic. And it's something I really like about your work, that there seems to be an attention to the frame and, and the, the framing yeah. and the relationship between things in, in a strong sculptural way. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is a kind of a newer thing in terms of the practice because uh, in terms of the video aspects especially, um, previously it's just um, not really talking about those devices as such. Um, as forms and uh, just purely you know, focusing on the visual component within that frame uh, without addressing the frame. But this time round, um, I'm really kind of focusing on, you know, again, like I say, these kind of rectangles that we're mm. constantly faced with and how I can kind of subvert that frame in some kind of way. So, and then pushing them into a sculptural domain. So with the, uh, the corner work with the two LCDs that are on uh, portrait and into the corner, um, I've purposely put them into the corner for a number of reasons. A, they sort of um, jut out in a really interesting kind of way in terms of perspective. But also, in a very kind of quiet way, um, has, has the, the viewer having to look literally into a corner yeah. and somewhat down as well. So, you know, if you subtracted the work itself, you'd be literally looking into a corner and looking down a bit. So um, it's a little kind of um, uh, thing I'm kind of working with in terms of you know, um, the audience and how they kind of participate with the work on a very sort of uh, subconscious kind of level. A lot of these video works and in past ones, you slow things down or you rotate things like a hawk is suspended or objects yeah. spin or we see a wave slowly kind of gaining form. Yeah. I was interested in how you decide to treat a, a subject, what the process you, you go through is. Well, with these particular works, minus the wave work, which is a waveform, um, I'd previously been using slow motion cameras. And um, I was kind of getting dissatisfied with them because, I don't know, um, they weren't in real time. They were sort of fictional in terms of the process. Also incredibly expensive um, in terms of you know, camera hire, et cetera, et cetera. So um, probably over the last couple of years, I've been thinking about um, the, the process of slow motion and how to capture it in real time as opposed to um, kind of you know, faking it in some kind of way through other technologies. Right. So um, I decided rather than using a slow motion camera, which was becoming quite painful in a way, um, I was just wanting to use a, a camera that shot in 25 frames per second in real time and capture slow motion as opposed to generate slow motion uh, with the technology. Mm. So um, with the skull and obsidian works, um, I was thinking about that, and um, I wanted to have a process with it that was painfully simple, <laughs> um, almost to the point where it was um, kind of stupid. And I was thinking, well, how am I going to uh, spin these objects? I mean, try it with a whole bunch of things. 
And first of all, they were sort of platforms that were had motorised sort of system which would slowly turn things around, but it just did not move in a, a smooth kind of um, motion that I wanted. And then I was just thinking about even more simpler things such as twine. And so I just simply set up a test rig into my, in my studio um, with a boon stand and uh, a white or black background hmm. and would literally suspend um, the object uh, with uh, like a nylon twine so it'd basically disappear into the white or black background and uh, literally spin the object um, quite rigorously um, and it would be you know swaying around and spinning really, really fast for quite some time. And I found that if I left the object spinning in that motion for approximately two hours, um, I would come back to the studio and it would get to a, a, a leveled kind of state and wow. it would be just spinning on a very, very slow axis back and forth. <laughs> and that's, that's when I'd set up the shot <laughs> and I would shoot for half an hour and leave the studio again. So I like this idea of actually literally the work kind of generating itself in a way by yeah. leaving the studio. You've had an interest for quite a long time in technology as a generative tool. I mean, you've yep. worked in abstraction, different fields of colour, and I know yep. your work's gone through quite a lot of different periods of the digital technology changing, uh, yep. and maybe this kind of interest of the visual, the audio turning into visual and so forth with waveforms. Yeah. There's a kind of an interest in how we can generate things yeah. through technology. Well, I guess it's, it's always been an obsession of mine. Um, which is kind of deepening at another kind of level in terms of audio hardware. Um, right. But, yeah, yeah, it's just something that I've been infatuated. Again, it's, it's stemming from childhood experience, countlessly you know, recording things as a kid with too much bass on it, stuff <laughs> like that, <laughs> on the parents' recorder. But, yeah, just totally infatuated with um, mainly mainly hardware as opposed to software. I've, had, I've always had a bit of a, an aversion to software. Um, I like the tangibility of hardware. Right. So the majority of um, the equipment that I use is, is mainly hardware. Um, and when it comes to having to go into the digital domain for editing purposes, it's very minimal um, right. in terms of that process. And you work um, in like, experimental music, I know, and performance as well. So again, yeah. uh, similar, similar shared interests across those fields? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a synthesis between the two, essentially. Yeah. Um, I, I float between all those you know, intertwined together they used to kind of run parallel, but they're certainly integrated now. Yeah, I understand you actually started in printmaking, which I found really interesting, because it feels like your kind of <laughs> sculptural approach to sound and image yeah. might still have elements of that. Well, the, the, the printmaking story is quite interesting. When I first started art school, I was a painter, like most art students are, and um, kind of got dissatisfied with the medium. Again, it's something to do with that frame, being dissatisfied with the limits of that um, and the rigidity of a square rectangle or what have you. Um, also, kind of got sick and tired of the medium of paint, and I've got like uh, turps poisoning, and that really put me off <laughs> the medium. And so I was also thinking, well, you know, I have this quite deep interest in, in sound, experimental composition, noise, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, and I wanted to integrate that with my visual practice or practice in general because I felt that you know sound was equally as valid medium as uh, mm. visual materials. So um, I found that at the art school I was attending at the time, which was in, uh, based in Ponsby, it was um, ASA in the 90s, um, they had a print department which was somewhat underpopulated. And um, I began thinking about you know, print, the department, and um, what a print actually is. And I had a desire to make records 
um, and this is when Peter King was um, doing his yes. King records. The Geraldines. Um, the Geraldines. And um, I was thinking, well, you know, on a literal level, uh, a record is essentially a print. Um, it's an engraving, uh, can be duplicated, etc., uh, etc. Et so that was pretty much my license into the, uh, the printmaking department. So I came to them saying, well, I'm not going to be making lithographs, etc. I'm going to be making records on this conceptual basis. And so that basically was the start of it, being in the printmaking department of all places. So it doesn't sound like you're a great fan of the, the, the digital uh, uh, process of making and distributing music of its own. Um, I have a very low profile when it comes to um, disseminating um, any of my work digitally. Again, it's, um, I quite like the idea of being a shadow lurker on purpose. There's, I mean, of course, there's a whole litany of things out there, you know, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, etc., etc. But um, I kind of find that it would be useful for maybe putting sort of sketch works up, but I always feel that it's, it's quite nice to sort of be out of that domain. And then when it's time for the work to come out, um, whenever that may occur, it comes out on a format that is a bit more, um, I don't know, a bit more tangible. Yeah, for example, records. Yeah. Well, Clinton Watkins, thanks for joining us here digitally. You can download <laughs> us on iTunes and all of that kind of huge me flip, not on record. Um, Absolutely. Thanks for joining us here on CircuitCast. Um, Very welcome. Yeah. Good to talk to you. Uh, and uh, tonight, today's pod was brought to you with music from Tlautalon and support from Crave New Zealand. Kia ora. Kia ora.